Welcome to Renovate, the young adult ministry of Christ Chapel Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. We are for all young adults. Whether you're far from God or walking close to Him, we believe that our God fully knows us and fully loves us. So instead of leaving us as He finds us, He is constantly and graciously renovating our lives so we can look more like Him. Enjoy this week's message. Praise God. <clears throat> Good evening, Renovate. Uh, we're going to keep worshiping. Uh, here's what's going to happen tonight. Here's our hope and our prayer is we're going to continue to worship because uh, that's really what we believe this, this is. Brooke, I thought, said it really well at the very beginning as she welcomed you guys in here. Um, what we are designed to do is worship. And, and even like the song we just sang, we're designed to respond to something. That's what our worship is. Our worship is a genuine response to who God is, what he's done, what he's called us to do. And even as we uh, sing that song, um, I'm reminded uh, of Psalm 95. I want to read just how the psalmist begins Psalm 95. He says this. He says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. And so the psalmist starts out and he says, this is what we should be doing. We should be responding. We should be singing. We should be worshiping. But there's a purpose behind why we, why we sing. We don't just sing because we're supposed to. We don't sing because it's the churchy thing. We don't just sing because we're highly emotional and, and we, we just want to stimulate our emotion. Um, there's a real purpose to it. And so if you're a natural worshiper and you love worship music and you love that, great. You might get that or, or, or you might just worship because it's emotional, but you also might be in this room and you might be like, man, I don't really like that that much. The singing part isn't my, my favorite part, which is fine if God's wired you in a different way, but there is a depth and a purpose deeper for why we worship. Verse three, he says, for the Lord is a great God. So we worship, we sing, and then he says, for the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountain are, also, are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. We see the creator, the maker of the world. And then in verse six, he says, oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. What we hope that this evening is for you guys is not um, just a bunch of people hanging out and then we do songs and then we hear a sermon or a monologue for a while and then we go back into songs. But our hope is that these nights uh, renovate worship is just that. It is a bunch of broken, imperfect people worshiping our designer who restore, restores and redeems and changes and transforms. Um, he is our maker. We have a God who is holy, who is worthy, who is good, we're designed for worship. We're designed to be connected to our maker, but so often we wander from that design. And I'm not, I don't wanna be up here long. I, I wanna be up here just long enough to look at the character of God with you and look at ourselves. And then as a community of imperfect people respond to that, um, we have a design, we have a maker and we wander from it. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, this was way before the iPhone, so a while back, um, I, I had a cell phone and when I, I was traveling um, in Europe and I actually got a really cool power cord, right? I know that sounds ridiculous, um, but it was a, a power cord that worked on my flip phone back in the day. And I was really proud of even just my charger, right? For my cell phone, because it was retractable. 
And it was long enough. I was a bachelor at the time and lived in a bachelor pad with six dudes and three dogs, and it was awesome. Um, and, and it was long enough where I could plug that thing in and I could walk all the way around. I could sit in any chair in, in our living room and, and my power cord would still be charging my cool flip phone from the early 2000s. Um, and I was really proud of that. And then I could retract it back into the wall and it was this special thing. Except my flip phones are pretty cheap and the, the power cord, which I got while I was in Europe, I was like, man, this thing's cool. The phone is whatever, but really, like, I just think the, the power cord is cool. Um, and I remember one time that my phone, while charging, just it wouldn't take a charge, and it started malfunctioning. It wasn't good, and it was a cheap flip phone. And so I had to get a new one, and so I got a new one, and it was good for a while. And then I realized, like, even that one, the battery wouldn't stay charged for very long, or it would fully charge, and all of a sudden, it would, it would wig out, and all of a sudden, think it's full, and it would completely stop. And I went through two phones, right? I burned through two flip phones before I realized the problem wasn't the phone. The problem was I had bought a European charger that wasn't designed to actually charge those phones. Um, my bad. That was on me. And, and I think one of the things I think about often with that is this idea that is that is intrinsic in all of our life, that we have a design and when we function within our design, things work and things work the way they're supposed to and they have the proper response. And when we function outside of our design, when we function outside of the way we were made or our maker has designed us to function, then things malfunction. Things don't work. Um, things get distorted. Things get perverted. Things get empty. Things get dried up and, and dead. And so so that so much is what is the condition of our heart. It's so much of what is the condition of um, what happens when our worship is dry. And I don't just mean singing songs. I mean our response to a God that we're designed to be connected to. And as we are connected to him, we are given no other choice but to respond in, in trust and adoration and, and, and affection and obedience, and all of those things. But we have a tendency to wander away from those things. Um, and the ways we wander, I don't want to just throw out that sin, but I think there's a lot of ways in which we wander um, that are, are common to all of us. Right? What, what do I mean when I say ways to wander? It's when we trade what is our design that God has given us, right? Uh, designed to trust our maker. He's our maker, so our, we are designed to trust him. We are designed to um, we're designed to adore him and to have our affections pointed to him. We're designed to obey him and his ways for how he made us to live and function and operate. Um, and it's when we take those and we trade those things for something less. That's what it looks like to wander. Taking the things that we are designed to be in connection and fellowship and obedience and adoration for our maker, and we trade them for something less. Romans 1 talks about it. Uh, Paul refers to it as when we exchange the glory of the immoral, immortal God, and we exchange that glory of the immortal God for things that are mortal, for images, for things that won't last. And that is a condition that is common to man, condition common to me and to you and to everyone. So I'm designed to obey, right? Even if we just pick that one, I'm designed to do that. And, and let me um, clarify this too, because maybe you come from a church background and you have a perspective of church or religion where when you hear that idea of like our design to obey, I think so often we can get this image of our God, um, our God desiring our pursuit of holiness because he's just this obsessive God who just obsessed with the moral to-do list in your life. And that's not the character of God. That's not why we obey. The pursuit of my holiness doesn't have to do with the fact that I've got a, a God who's just created an arbitrary list of things he wants me to do 
to, to check the boxes, to follow the rules, to pass some, some tests to see if I can keep up with the right things to do, the pursuit of my attempted holiness in my life is because that's what I'm designed to do. Because that's how I'm designed to live, to walk in obedience, holiness, this idea that, that this is in line with what God, how God tells me to act and function and reflect him. And when I trade obeying his way, I trade it, I wander from that because I want to obey my way. So it's a way that you wander. It's a way that I wander. I want to obey my way. I don't want to do it the way God has called me or designed. I want to do it how I want to do it. If, if you have kids, you understand this. I mean, at, at a young age, kids are just inherently built in with this mechanism where obviously just for survival, they just, I want, I want, I want, I want. And there's nothing else beyond that. Um, me, my soul, when I'm not connected, when I'm not functioning, when I wander is I want, I want, I want, I want for me. Um, as opposed to the spirit, which is illuminating God's way, uh, examples are sexual sin, right? Sexual sin is an example of a way that we have taken something somewhere along the way, sex, which is God's design. God thought of that. God created that. God built that. It's this incredible, beautiful thing that God created and designed somewhere along the way. I think for one, the church stopped talking about it because that's, you know, kind of PG-13, and you're not supposed to talk about that. And, and so all of a sudden, we stopped talking about it, and the world took what God designed, and it hijacked it. And it sold us all kinds of unending other versions and perversions and, and ways to dabble in certain aspects of sex that is outside of God's design. And it's not that God looks there with his arms folded, saying, oh, man, you're, you're not following the list of the right way to do it. He looks at us, and what we're going to see tonight is a character of a father who says, there is more. I designed it differently. That's not how, it's supposed to be so much more enjoyable, so much more fulfilling, so much more worshipful even. But we take something and we trade it, and we don't want to obey. We want to do it our way. We want to do it in our timing. We, we do the same thing with all kinds of things in our life, not just sexual sin. We do it with our relationship with food at times. We do it with how we talk, whether we talk in a way that's honoring the way God or whether we talk in a way that's not honoring um, to God. Other ways we wander is I'm, I'm designed to adore God. Right? That's, a, that's a part of how I'm wired. My affections towards my maker should be something that is, that is inherent within me when I'm close to him. Um, one of my favorite pastors a long time ago, his name is Barry Keldy. I, I remember he said this in a sermon and I've never forgotten it. Um, he said, look at the trees, right? We, we, we see trees, we, we see trees and a forest and woods and we know, okay, that's God's creation. Um, it's very explicitly, look at the beautiful creation of God and he described trees um, and he said, look at the trees and how they sway in the wind, asking, isn't he beautiful? And I rarely am able to now look at trees in the same way when they're swaying in the wind because I see a tree swaying in the wind and now I'm, I'm reminded, oh yeah, God designed his creation to sway in the wind saying, isn't our designer amazing? You, me, we are his creation. We're designed to point our affections back to him. But so often I don't. I spend so much of my time wandering from my design, wandering from that, 
And instead, I want my affections to be, honestly, most of the time, I want my affections to be pointed to me. Look at my glory. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at what I can do. Praise me, point to me. And so our affections even become these perverted things. Um, We make worship idols out of jobs and out of sports teams, uh, out of celebrities, out of all kinds of things that don't last. And and we find our affection and we find our our adornment in those things all the time in our life. And, And hopefully we get convicted and hopefully the kindness of God Even tonight, the Spirit of God convicts of ways that we wander from obedience, wander from our affection for the God, or we wander from trust. Just the last little category of of how we might wander. We're designed to trust God um, because he is trustworthy. He he is not in his character to let us down, and yet I wander all the time from trust, and I sit in anxiety, and I sit in fear. And I said, but, but what if, and I have to control, and I, instead of trusting God, I'm going to trust my resources. I'm going to trust my abilities, what I can do. And so I've traded trusting the God of the universe who is sovereign over all things to, I'm going to trust what I can control, myself, my power, my resources, my busyness of accomplishments. If I can just stay so busy and celebrate how busy I am and look how much I'm accomplishing and look how many things my name can be attached to and and work and work it, all of those things, I wander from trusting him and instead I trust my own toil and my own work. Would tonight be worshipful even as we hopefully are convicted about how we wander from the God who's designed us to be connected, designed us to obey, designed us to adore, designed us to trust, that we'd be convicted because when we do that, when I do that, I find myself in this lonely, dark, shame-filled place. I want you to hear something that I think is really important. Our God is not surprised by our sin. God is not surprised by your sin. God is not surprised by how how far you might wander, by how tempted, by the the darkest and most embarrassing thoughts and temptations and even ways that you would act on those temptations. God is not surprised by that. I'll tell you a story. Um, It's in the Old Testament. It's of a prophet of God, a man of incredible reputation before God, um, prophets in the Old Testament, uh, specifically a specific dispensation, there was a specific time when, when God spoke through prophets and, and God used prophets very strategically to give different specific messages to his people, which in the Old Testament, God had selected this people, this, this group of, of people. He had raised them up through Abraham, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, the Jews, and, and he had said, you are my people. And then he would bring these prophets to say, here's this lesson. Here's this thing I want you to hear. Here's this thing I want you to understand. And so there's this incredible prophet, Hosea, who comes on the scene. God calls him, God speaks through Hosea. Um, let, me, let me just set up Hosea chapter one, verse two. This is how Hosea is used by God. We'll put up here on the screen. It says, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, so he's like, oh great, I'm gonna be a a prophet. This is gonna be a great experience. The Lord said to Hosea, go take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. And for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. 
So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Let me, let me tell you the story. So Hosea, I'm going to massively oversimplify some of the truth of a 14-chapter book, which is a beautiful book, and I'd really encourage all of you to actually spend time walking through it. But I'm going I'm to take that 14 chapters. I just want to walk you through what happened in the first three chapters and what God did through Hosea. Because here, God calls a prophet, Hosea, and says, hey, I want you to represent me, and I want you to represent me by marrying a prostitute. Because that's what's happening with my people. Because my people have wandered from their love and loyalty to me and they have wandered into a life where they're cheating on me constantly with with other gods, with their affection, with their worship in other places. And so I, Hosea, I want you, Hosea, to take Gomer, she's a prostitute, and I want you to make her your wife. You're gonna have kids together. And so here is this beautiful picture of a gracious God I mean, Gomer is a prostitute in that time. I mean, would have been just the reputation of her would have been so low and so filthy and so dirty. And here is a prophet in a time when to be a prophet, I mean, they didn't have sports stars and celebrities and they didn't have Instagram and they didn't have influencers. I mean, to, it was a religious society at the time and to be a prophet was, was to be known, to have a reputation. And God said, I'm gonna take this reputation of a prophet of the people of God, of the Israelites, and I'm gonna have you attach your reputation to this lowly of low prostitute who's, who's just offering her body for money all throughout the city, and you're gonna marry her, and you're gonna take her off of the streets, and you're gonna bring her into your home, and you're gonna be her husband, and you're gonna love her. They have kids. God tells them to name the kids these honestly, horribly convicting reminders of the sin that was happening in, in Gomer's life, but also throughout Israel at the time. And they have kids and they're, and, they're, and they're married and they're in a union. And then Gomer, who had been taken from the streets, from this life of emptiness, of brokenness, of sin, of just darkness, returns to it. And so she has the reputation of finally she's attached to a prophet and then she returns to that lifestyle. Um, Hosea chapter two talks about how when she wanders back into sin in verse five says, for their mother, talking about the mother of these kids of Hosea and Gomer, for their mother has played the whore. She has conceived them, has acted shamefully. She who conceived them has acted shamefully for she said, I will go after my lover's who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. So here still, Gomer, even in marriage, even in this relationship that she had been so graciously accepted into and God commanded this, this prophet to bring her in, she wanders and she flees and she cheats on him and she runs and she trades what is good and she, she goes back to that lifestyle. And Hosea is this massively sobering book and, and what ultimately happens to Gomer, she goes back into that lifestyle and she, she goes back to her lovers and she goes back to these temporary things that she thinks going to please her and she winds up by chapter three totally used up, right? She, she becomes this woman who is, is totally used, even so to the point where she can't even be sold as a prostitute anymore because no one wants to pay money for her anymore for that. And so she winds up as this really low slave, not even good for sex because she's so disgusting and used. And so she finds herself on a slave block 
and she finds herself destitute, left the chance she had, the grace she had, wandered from it, and finds herself being sold on a slave block. Just as a normal slave, not even a prostitute, not anyone who bring any value other than just cleaning your bathrooms. And look at what God does through Hosea. Look at, look at what we see the character of God doing for those who wander. Chapter three, I'm gonna read three, I'm just gonna read three, one through three, and then slow down and make sure we, we get it. The Lord said to me, Hosea is saying this, the Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who is loved by another man as an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel. Though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Please don't be distracted by the fact that that really beautiful verse ends with cakes of raisins. Um, that's slightly distracting. Cakes of raisins was a, a, was a, ref, was a reference um, to, to what they would take to basically be their Viagra, right? That was their belief, just eat these cakes of raisins so that we can have lots of sex. That's what it was. And so, so she was in that lifestyle of just pursuing that kind of stuff. But this beautiful verse in chapter three, where, where God says, yes, look, she wandered back. She's used up. She's on the slave block being sold. Not even worthy to be a prostitute. Not even worthy to be a whore. Go and love her and find her and show her how I still, just as I go and pursue Israel who wanders and cheats and chooses other things. Verse two, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethage of barley. The homer and the lethage of barley is, a, is measurements, right? It, and so it's, he, here's the money and then here are these other, other things, these other items. And then in verse three, and I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. Here's the scene that the God of the universe paints in the Old Testament in this book of Hosea in the first three chapters. She wanders, she runs, she had a chance. She blew it time and time and time and time again. She was used up, standing on a slave block, not even good for a prostitute. And God shows up through Hosea and says, that's mine. I will buy her. I will buy her. I will spend shekels, I will spend. If I run out of shekels, I'll bring barley. She is mine and I will pay the price for her. He pursues and he purchases and then he gives purpose of you're gonna be mine and I'm gonna be yours. There's a purpose to this grace. There's a purpose to this purchase. I have something better. I have a relationship the way it's designed to be for you. The character of God that we see in Hosea, if we see it, if the spirit of God illuminates the character of God for us, that is our appropriate response to say, God, I'm yours. God, would I worship? God, would I respond appropriately to that? The power of shame in our life, we can't take that for granted. The power of, of shame, and let me say this too, shame is not from the Lord. Conviction, oh, I pray for conviction. God, would you convict me? Would you be so kind to show me the places I wander? Would you reveal those things to me? But shame is, is this thing that the enemy does to bury us, to say, you're too far gone, you're too ruined, you're too used up. She didn't go back to Hosea when she was used up. She had given up. She thought, he'll never take me back. 
I'll never be worthy of that. I had my chance. I blew it. The power of God's grace over shame is unbelievable. Time and time and time again, the power of God's grace through and only through the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life has the power to change how you function in life, change how you respond and how you worship. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that there was one who was worthy. There was one who was holy. God in flesh, Jesus Christ, who lived the holy, perfect life of reverence towards God, connected perfectly to the Father, and then took on all of my sin and all of my mess and all of my betrayal for my king and my father, all of that, took that on a cross, died, and then rose again. And for those who put their faith in Christ, we get the grace of God through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. The purchase of me standing at the slave block saying, I am not worthy. The reality of that sentiment, but the power of the grace to say, yes, I know you're not but I will purchase you by by my son's blood on a cross. That's the gospel. That sets us free. And that is the source for our worship. That's the source for our obedience. That's the source for our our affection for the Lord. That's the source for our trust. That the gospel is the source for our maturity in the Christian life. The gospel is not just the thing that new believers need to hear. It's not the thing that if you're on the fence, man, I I, I hope the gospel is the source of the most mature believer. And anyone that drifts from the gospel is drifting from depth and maturity. And then see what happens. I mean, 1 John 3, 1, as we see the character of God in the Old Testament, as we see in the New Testament, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Broken, imperfect people who wander from what we're called to be a part of, our maker, our creator, through Christ and Christ alone have wandered. We get called back into a relationship as children by his grace, not by you being churchy enough or religious enough, by his grace. And what's at stake if we miss this, right? If if we take this and we nod our head and we've heard the story of Hosea and we've heard the gospel and we believe all these things, we say, okay, this is great. What's at stake if we just walk through the truth of scripture and nod our heads and say, yeah, this is good. What's at stake is that we miss it ourselves, that we miss the depth of how we're loved, that we miss the very depth of what assigns our identity as a son or a daughter of the king. Don't miss it tonight. Don't leave this place still holding on to shame that you're not designed to hold on to anymore. Don't leave this place still believing lies about yourself that you are too far gone. Don't leave this place believing I'm used up, I'm ruined, I keep falling back into the same patterns, the same cycles. Don't allow shame to continue to fuel those patterns in your life. What's at stake if we don't really see the gospel and see the character of God is that we leave here and we just say, great, I'm gonna be better. I'm gonna be better and I'm gonna earn it as opposed to saying, I had nothing to bring and you came and you found me when I was desperate. Where I don't belong, you found me there and you purchased me and I am your kid now. You are my father now and the character of you and my father shapes the very identity of who I am as a son or a daughter. But the other thing that what's at stake is not just my own heart, 
not desiring to leave here, carrying in my own shame, fix it myself, clean myself up, but also we miss out on showing other people this love, right? If we don't lean into the character of God, then we miss out on how we show it to other people. People don't need a transactional sales pitch for Christianity. They need to see a grace of God that leads them to life change 100%, leads them to obedience leads them to genuine worship because they see the grace of God in you, in your life, in the way that you love people if you've experienced that, if you are in Christ. And so would we be motivated to realize what's at stake is other people, 1 John 3, the world around us that doesn't get it, that doesn't see, and and maybe you're here in this room and, and you're like, man, I don't understand what it is about Christians And maybe you're in this room and maybe you stiff arm Christianity and you stiff arm this God. You don't trust his character because you've seen so many of us fumble what it looks like to live the gospel of grace in front of you. You see us hanging our heads in shame. You see us trying to clean ourselves up. You see us stuck in sin, pretending we're not. And that hypocrisy is a turnoff and that hypocrisy has shaped the character of God. And I hope you see through the word of God, that's not his character. That's not who he is. That's not what he calls us to. But you, if you're in Christ, get opportunities to be this. I've gotten to be this in people's lives. They've been able to be this in my life. I remember when I was a young man and I was trying to walk out my faith early on and walk out this relationship with Jesus thing. I remember sitting at a breakfast table and just talking to somebody about the lies that I believed. I didn't know they were lies, but just this constant lie of the patterns in my life that were sinful. And I, I remember voicing, I just keep letting God down. And I remembered the truth and the reality spoken back to me by somebody who understood this and lived this was you were never holding him up. And I remember the first time I heard that idea of, oh, I'm letting God down. And the reality of, wait, I was never holding him up. He holds me up. He finds me where I don't belong. He purchases me. He's not surprised by my sin when he purchased me. And people speaking that into my life and then I getting to speak that in other people's lives started dating this girl named Danielle. And she had all these lies that she believed about herself. All these things that she believed because of her past had ruined her. And I got to be this guy who dated her in a way that really tried to protect her, her purity And really tried to also speak against the lies that her past doesn't define her. Her past doesn't ruin her. Her past doesn't have power. Her past is not more powerful than the grace of God. Her past and my, we both are completely covered by the grace of God. And so the healthy seasons of that. And I'm not the hero of that story. The hero of that story is not, wow, what a great boyfriend I was. The hero of that story is Jesus. Because I was also a really selfish boyfriend at times and really led poorly in other seasons. I have a son, two sons, but, but Charlie, I, I get to be a voice in his life that if I understand the character of God, I get to speak that into his life when he crawls into my lap because he's traded confidence in God for fear and anxiety. And he sits in my lap and he's worried and he's scared and he doesn't know who he is and he doesn't believe that he's enough. And I get to encourage him and challenge him and speak the truth that God would speak. No, you're mine. You're my child, not because... God says you're enough. Don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on that for yourself tonight. That you would leave shame in this room tonight. But also don't miss out on the opportunity that if that is the reality that you believe and are walking in, that you 
Don't miss out on being that picture to somebody else. And maybe even tonight the Lord convicts you of, gosh, I have not been that picture. I haven't been the picture of of grace calling someone towards repentance, meeting them where they're at and reminding them that God has a, a better way to do it, but loving them every single step of the way, walking with them every step of the way. 1 Peter 2, 9 tells us, but you are, if you're in Christ, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have been pursued by a God. We have been purchased if we are in Christ and then given a purpose to pursue him, to make much of him, to marvel at his light, to respond appropriately to who he is and what he's done in our life. So what now? What do we do with this? I'm not gonna give you three application points I'm not gonna give you five steps to live this out tomorrow morning. I'm gonna give you space. The worship band's gonna come back up here and they're gonna lead us in worship. If you wanna sit, if you wanna stand, if you wanna sing, if you wanna be sung over, it doesn't matter. This isn't about a a performance. I know for a fact that's not the heart of the men and women on this stage. This is about an opportunity for you to take the character of God, who he is, what he's done, marvel at it, sit in it, They're gonna come back up here as I pray and and they're gonna lead us in a song that specifically asks even that question, who who are we, right? Who am I that he loves me? And if there's not an overwhelming reality to his grace, then I don't know we understand his grace. If we can't look at the grace of God and, and genuinely cry out, why would he purchase me? Then I think we're either stuck in self righteousness and we think we've earned this we don't know how powerful the grace of God is because he is standing over you saying, I am choosing you through Christ, through Christ alone. And I am calling you to something better. Let me pray. Father, would we worship tonight? Not sing songs, not just go to a service, but would we worship out of a response for who you are and what you've done? The reality that you are a father who knows that we wandered, who, who's, who knows that we will wander and paid the price to purchase us so that we might be connected to you, our maker, the one we can trust, the one who, who calls us to a life of obedience and holiness because it's good, because it fits the design we were made for, the one who, who stirs our affections and not just about emotion, but our, our affections and our love and our adoration, our loyalty to you. God, all of those things, would your spirit remind us of them? Would we see the reality and the truth of your scripture through this prophet thousands of years ago and be reminded how you found us while we were far off? Even when we run, you find us. Set us free from shame. Give us purpose to pursue you with our lives. Finally, setting us free from so many of these traps that we've stayed stuck in, so many of these chains that we've held on to. Tonight would be a night that we lay those down. And then tomorrow morning, when all those temptations are waiting for us, we'll choose you again and choose you again because we know that you, in your overwhelming grace, have chosen us through Christ and through Christ alone. Spirit, do what only you can do. 
for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. We hope today's message was impactful and God used it to be part of the transforming work he wants to do in your life. Look, our desire is that this isn't just a resource you would listen to, but that this is really a community you would belong to. If you have any further questions, you just want to talk or need prayer, reach out to us. Our contact info is on the website, renovateftw.org, or connect with us on our social media, at RenovateFTW, and we would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you again soon.